Julie Johnny's. It's Thursday, November 3rd. Welcome along to the show. Coming up this evening, we'll get Ian Keatley's take on the Ireland Rugby Squad, along with Keen Tracy, who is with me in the studio, as is Keith Tracy, who is in to reflect on the Champions League. Both Tracy's different spellings, I can confirm, although I haven't checked whether they're related or not. I will do very, very shortly. We'll also have Jeff Shepard with all of the new stateside. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at Game On 2FM. Game on on 2FM. Welcome along, Keen and Keith Tracy. So, any relation? Not that I know of, but who yeah. knows? Even the first names are similar, so it's kind of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and different spellings, so you wouldn't be related anyway. I would have taken his talent on the football pitch anyway. Oh, yeah, so. yeah. There you well, go. Um, anyway, maybe you could play another game of five aside. You play a bit of five aside, Keen, don't you? I do, I do. You'd be welcome to. Well, I, without, I was stabbing in the dark, I'd say you're better at football than <laughs> I, I am at rugby. I, yeah, I don't know about that. I highly doubt it. I gave up the rugby a long time ago. Uh, where did you play? What position? Uh, I played all over the place, but that's like we're talking a long time ago now. School and with Shannon in Limerick back in the day. But I, I think I started in the centre and when I realised that everyone was much bigger than me, they threw me in scrum half, but I uh, didn't do much there either. So my rugby days were very short-lived. So the next best thing is writing about it, I guess. That's true. Those who can do and those who don't. Yes, teach exactly. and write about it. <laughs> uh, Keen, the Ireland squad was named today, I think because the A squad was named yesterday that a lot of people were probably fairly sure about what way it was going to pan out. Anything catch your eye? Uh, yeah, I think there was plenty of clues, obviously, yesterday when the A-team was named. Um, I suppose the big thing is Conor Murray is starting. Um, massive day for him. He's going to win his 100 caps, a really special occasion. Um, Gibson Park, James Gibson Park, I think, would have started, all things being equal, but he hasn't played yet this season. And I suppose the nature of his injury, it's a hamstring. So uh, obviously they didn't want to, to risk it. So it's a massive opportunity for... Conor Murray to you know he's taken a lot of flack mm-hmm. I'd say over the, over the years a lot of it I think unfair um, so it's a, it's a chance for him to remind people what he's capable of um, I'm sure we can talk about that further but Robert Balakoon getting a start in the wing I think this is long overdue um, he was supposed to go to New Zealand but got injured in Ulster's last game of the season which was a massive blow for him because I wouldn't have been surprised if even by the end of the series there that he forced himself into the test reckoning so I think they've had their eye on him for a long time but injuries have just uh, reaped havoc with him so he is very very exciting Um not not a like-for-like replacement, obviously, for James Lowe and Ireland are going to be missing that left-footed kicking option. I was very curious to see if they would have put Jacob Stockdale on the left mm-hmm. wing. He'd be far more like-for-like or even someone like Jimmy O'Brien because the left foot has become so important to what Ireland do. So it's a, it's a big opportunity for Robert Balakoon as well. I'm very excited. I think this guy has got... I think this guy is really the limit for him. And I think by the time the World Cup comes around, I wouldn't be surprised if he can get a run of games. He takes opportunities that he's going to be there, thereabouts. What's he got? pace anyway for one out and out pace so like we don't produce in this country too many athletes like he's like a sprinter like once you give him he played seven so I mean once you give him half a yard of space he's gone um, but he's he's far more than, than that as well I think he's worked really hard on his skill set he's an outstanding defender I remember from Ennis Skillen I remember talking to people in his club for a piece I did uh, I think it was last year and they always said that like since he's been a young, young kid he hits hard and I think he reads the game really well this is going to be a massive test for him this weekend because you know 
we I think we've spoken about it, Marie, a few times on the show. Like what Andy Farrell looks for in his wingers isn't necessarily um, the sort of traditional sense. So I think the word he uses, he doesn't want his wingers to be tidy. So I think Mac Hansen and James Lowe perfectly kind of fit that description because they're happy to come off their wing. And I think that's something that Robert Balakun it probably doesn't come naturally to him, I, I would say. And it's something he's going to have to do if he wants to get more game time uh, under Andy Farrell. So um, I think his kicking game is going to be really important because just as if he gets the ball in open space um, he can cause damage but the back three that the Springboks have named with Ches and Colby at full back uh, you don't want to be kicking loose ball to them as well so it's it's very exciting to see I think how, how he gets on I think he, I think he's more than ready for it I think like I said it's been a long time coming Ian Keatley is with us on the line as well uh, Ian we were just chatting there about Robert Balakun and how impressive he is but how big a, che- a test is it going to be for him now going up against the Springboks yeah, it's going to be one of the biggest tests of his career. But I'd say it could be the reason why they've picked Conor Murray and Balakum. Um, as Keane said there, you don't want to be kicking loose ball to, to the back three of the South Africans. And it could be a ploy that we might be going for more like contestable kicking, more box kicks, more contestable. Cause you don't want to kick long to them and give them the room to run. So it might be, uh, might be a little insight of how Ireland are going to play. Maybe box kick from Conor Murray contestable with Balakun and Mac Hansen up in the air and not to kick too freely to, to that back three as, as Keane said um, and it's the, it's the way the all back or the South Africans are going to play they're going to play that kicking game to us as well so we need good uh, aerial stability there and not to give South Africans um, that, that entry into our into our half well, we know you mentioned Conor Murray there as well and he is making his uh, 100th test appearance in Saturday's clash. Uh, Michael Corcoran was out talking to Andy Farrell today and he spoke about Conor Murray. Can you talk about the milestone that it is in the life of Conor Murray? I mean, to play for your country once is an honour for anybody. Um, you know, to do so now for the 100th time is just an incredible achievement. It is, and it's something that I'm uh, in awe of. Um, there's eight of them uh, now and... Um, context the field on Saturday that is there'll be eight of them and uh, it's a pretty special group and the reason it is special is because we all know what it takes to to go through a career like that especially when everyone wants to knock you off your perch everyone wants the the next uh, uh, new book on the on, on the rank to to come through etc and there's all sorts of ups and downs that that go into um, this type of milestone and you have to be unbelievably good <laughs> outstanding as a as a rugby player but you've got to be uh, resilient as a person and at the same time you've got to be an outstanding human being with a different different type of character and that's why it makes a, a special group Andy Farrell there speaking about Conor Murray and Keithy is with us on the line Ian it sounds like from the way that he's been built up there by Andy Farrell that Conor Murray is superhuman yeah I think that's what you get from from Andy he's he's, he's very very much a, a people obviously he's a great coach but he, he knows his players and he knows that Conor Murray has gotten a lot of flack probably not his own doing maybe like a, I know a lot of people go oh why is Conor Murray kicking the ball away so much but believe me Conor Murray's doing what what he's told to do tactically um, like Conor's obviously a fantastic player as we discussed there to get a hundred cast I think I think uh, Peter Stringer got 99, didn't he? And uh, just just fell one short. So to get 100, it's, it's an incredible achievement and it's a credit to, to Connor. And I think people forget that he was the Lions captain there just, just during the summer. So he's obviously a pretty good player and I think Ireland are pretty lucky to have him. Yeah, they are, but there's still no getting away from the fact, Keane, that he's under a little bit of pressure. 
He is, yeah. It's kind of an unusual occasion as such because obviously the hundred caps is so is so special. But there is going to be a lot of scrutiny on him. And I think Ian has hit the nail on the head there. And that's kind of what I alluded to earlier about some of the criticism that he's gotten over the years. When he's asked under Joe Schmidt to carry out a particular game plan, what can he do? That That's how Joe Schmidt, and even at Munster, that's how he wanted to, that's how Johan van Graan wanted to play as well, a very South African orientated type of game. So I think he's been a bit, a bit of a victim at that at different times over the years. And also he's been playing, if we're being honest, he's been playing behind um, a Munster pack who've been going backwards against the bigger team. So it doesn't matter who your scrum half, your out half is, um, it's, it's very going to be very hard to control a game. So, um, I think it'll be very interesting to see what the tactics are. I really hope that Ireland don't go down the the all guns blazing, the box kicking route. I think Ian is right. I think it's about getting a bit of a bit of a balance there because if you fight fire with fire with this South African team, I think Ireland will come out the, the wrong end of it. I think they've got it. And to be fair, the team selection has really kind of shown faith in what worked in New Zealand, which is speed. And I think that is going to be the the key to moving this big. Uh, Springboks pack around the pitch and I think to be fair you know there was a lot of talk about would Andy Farrell go for a 6-2 split on the bench and match up with the box and I'm delighted to see that he hasn't I can see the logic and the argument for it but he's stuck to what has served Ireland well and for so long we've had this you know debate about like Ireland and Leinster teams you know coming unstuck against the bigger more physical teams but I think the way around them is to to go the approach that Ireland have have done and it's been successful so but this is the ultimate test I still think there are question marks uh, we saw in France during the Six Nations to a certain extent England before they had a man sent off so uh, it's a massive test of I think where Ireland's game plan has gotten to because while it was an incredible achievement to beat the All Blacks in New Zealand in a three test series I think going up against the Springboks as world champions is still the ultimate test Well let's get Andy Farrell's take on South Africa Test rugby is special it's pretty unique it's called test rugby for a reason and Saturday is the ultimate test really well it is um, they'll, they'll be super keen to, to, to finish their season off well we know it's been a long season for them but uh, since we played in the summer we know that they've been playing through so the cohesion that they, they would have is, is pretty good and I know that um, a little bit of a break would have done them well and uh, they want to finish the season on a high for us uh, yeah it's, it's about um starting off where we finished off and can we get back to that place um, in, in our first attempt you know and, and that's what we have to get good at uh, being uh, Northern Hemisphere sides Ian when Ireland are facing South Africa everybody talks about the pure strength of South Africa and the physicality that they bring um, when you look at the pack that we have and, and compared to them and even just the, the benches we know that it's <coughs> going to be difficult um, for everyone involved Dan Sheehan reckons though that technique can counter power would you agree with him? Um, yeah, definitely. But you need to be on the money with your with your technique. And I think with the selection that Ireland picks, I think obviously with Ty Byrne and James Ryan, but also Peter Manley, um, they're going to try and take away uh, South African set piece. That's like obviously working under Rezzy and Jack. They they go line out, they go maul, they try and drain your legs, then they hit you with the power game, then they give it to the to like such as and Kobe who can create a bit of magic and that's their game plan and um, so I think Ireland tactically as we talked about there with the box kick but also I think with Pete like he's unbelievable at disrupting line out he'll be jumping at two he'll be trying to disrupt the the South African line out same with Ty Byrne same with James Ryan they'll be getting up in the air to try and not give them that platform I wouldn't even be surprised if you don't see um, Ireland kick the ball out too much if they're exiting they probably won't kick the ball out they, won't, they don't want to give 
uh, South Africa set piece. Um, and that's why I think they'll go more the contestable route. They'll, they'll have to be extremely disciplined. And yeah, on the technique base, if Ireland needs to be spot on with their technique to, to nullify that South African uh, strength and power. Keen, there are a few subplots as well with this meeting. The World Cup pool being won and also the fact that Razi Erasmus is free to roam now too. Mm-hmm, yeah, he's, we, I was out in the hotel, the team hotel with him yesterday. He's back in the, <laughs> the coach's box. His water boy, boy days are, are over. Um, and it's probably a, a good thing. Well, sorry, it's certainly a good thing. And Ian would know this um, more than me, certainly haven't played under him. But I think they really missed Razi um, when he was suspended after the Lions tour last year. As brilliant as a coach as Jack Neen Arbor is, the two of them together are a serious uh, team. And yeah, like in terms of sub plots like both camps have been downplaying the significance of the fact that Ireland and South Africa are going to meet each other at the pool stages in France next year and I can understand why because so much can change within a year but at the same time if Ireland were to lose on Saturday but to lose in a manner that we've seen before that they've been bullied and you know the same old questions come up I think that that has potential to leave psychological scars in the similar way that you remember post uh, 2018 in the 2019 Six Nations that England did to Ireland they didn't really recover from that so while I do think this team mentally and I don't think they're going to stand still which maybe happened previously um, I think if South Africa were to to win it could in that particular manner I should stress um, it could be damaging but on the flip side if Ireland as the world number one ranked team were to beat the world champions on the back of beating New Zealand over there then I think that's a massive psychological win as well as much as things can change I think that has to count for something How do you think Razi is going to approach this Ian? He's notorious for having mind games of some sort is he going to play any or do you think he's just going to leave let things lie now at this stage? Um Known Razzy, he usually has a few tricks up his sleeve, but in fairness to him, obviously with Razzy, Jack, and even Felix in there, their their big thing is like, if you know your opposition inside out, you you know how to attack them. So I'm sure he will have a few games. Well, he, he probably would have done it already in the media, so he's kind of is laying low, <laughs> but he might have something something out there tomorrow. But listen, he might get a video, an hour-long video again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of him dancing again. I wouldn't mind that. Um, but... He, he's a very shrewd operator. He's like, he's very army driven, tactically driven. So he'll he'll have his South Africa team completely aligned. That's what it's all about: alignment from the game plan to executing the game plan, and that's what they're um, they'll be trying to execute. And as Keen said, there there has been questions over this Irish team, and uh, we talk about the Leinster team when they come up against these physical, physical, powerful teams. And it's going to be interesting to see have Ireland come up with a game plan how to how to take these teams on because it could be the blueprint going forward even for, mm-hmm. for Leinster or even for Irish teams when they do come up against these strong physical teams which, which are the French teams and the English go that way and, and same with these South African teams so it's going to be interesting to see if there's a game plan um, executed uh, on Saturday to try and nullify that. Yeah, I think yesterday was Rassi's opportunity to, if he was going to throw a, a grenade in and to be fair he didn't I think he's been a little bit bitten by the fact that in the if, for anyone who hasn't seen it it's a brilliant documentary Chasing mm-hmm. the Sun when he called Ireland big softies um, at the 2019 World Cup when you know if Ireland Such had Such a great phrase isn't it? It was a great <laughs> phrase but like he was very coy yesterday when he was asked about it and even last year I, I, I had a chance to, to interview him and he really kind of rolled back from it so he's all compliments that this Ireland team has a real mm-hmm. physical edge and stuff about 
about it. So um, he's on the charm offensive, which I always think is a very, very dangerous thing when teams like South Africa are talking up Ireland. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about Johnny Sexton, Ian, because obviously you know um, what he does so well. Are you surprised that he's still at this level, like just given the the attrition of the last, whatever is it, two decades now probably? Yeah, in fairness to him, a, a, a lot of credit has to go to the RFU and, and Leinster as well. Like they've they've really managed it, managed his load. Like he he doesn't play that many URC games, um, so he is very well managed. But it, it's also a credit to to Johnny that even though he doesn't play that many of those URC games, when he is called upon, he's still at the top level, which is which is so much even because a lot of players need a few games to get going. But every time I see him play, he's he's he looks like he's in complete control of, of the guys around him and he's just still pulling the strings and it's fair credit to him. And it's also credit to his teammates who who just understand him and he's got them all singing off the same same hint shoot as him. Like They're all thinking the same way as him and uh, he's still pulling the strings and it, it, there is question marks of who's going to replace him but sure, if he's still here until uh, <laughs> the World Cup, I don't think we have to worry about that until after. Who would you see replacing him though? If... God forbid anything happened. Yeah, well, obviously, Joe, Joey's Joey's still young. I think Joey's been around for years, but he's still he's mm-hmm. still quite young. And then obviously you've got Frawley, who's going to be playing in the the A game tomorrow. He's I re- I really like Frawley, but also we've got to look at Jack Crowley, who's starting to come to the fro- uh, come to the scene now. He's uh, he he hasn't played that much for Munster over the last year or two. But I was chatting to him after that. Um, that emerging Ireland tour that he, he went over to South Africa and he said he it just opened his eyes um, to playing differently and he learned so much. So I'm looking forward to seeing Jack hopefully getting a few more few starts um, in a few bigger games for, for Munster and hopefully he gets on there tomorrow night and impresses as well. That's good to hear from the emerging Ireland because there was so much negativity about it beforehand. Mm. But I guess the most important thing is what the players took away from it. Keen. Just that Ian mentioned um, Frawley there and playing a 10 for the Ireland team against New Zealand. How much, of, how much of a disadvantage is it for him to be playing in so many different positions as someone who did the same thing? Uh, yeah, geez, I don't know. <laughs> Definitely not a good comparison. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, to be fair, like a lot of players do it, but I think when it's such, and again, Ian would know this far better than me, when it's such a specialised position, I feel like the more game time you can get there, the better. And it was actually interesting. Um, you know, he he's not going to come out and publicly say, oh, I want to be playing out half because he knows the competition. And the, the situation is probably complicated by the fact that Leinster rate Ross Byrne much higher than the Irish coaches do. So, And Ross Byrne delivers for Leinster. But in New Zealand, we were chatting to um, Kieran Frawley before the second match game and he basically said that like he is very conscious that he doesn't want to become known as a jack of all trades mm. but I think we've seen now that Andy Farrell sees Kieran Frawley as that third out half and he can play centre or he can play full back if he needs be but it's going to be very interesting to see how Leinster kind of view that situation because like I said Ross Byrne kind of complicates it but if Frawley goes well tomorrow um I wouldn't be surprised to see him get some game time at out half. I think you'd imagine Joey Carby would probably get the start against Fiji, but you, you might see mm-hmm. Frawley coming off the bench. So it's a big month for him too. Ian, I know you have to go, so give us a quick prediction. Oh, I, did, I, I just hope... I, oh, I, <laughs> that's good, that's so <laughs> um, I, I, I really want... I think if Ireland win it, I think they're real World Cup contenders. Um, and as, uh, Even if they lose and they've, they put in a good performance and we can see a game plan that they can take on this physical side 
I think we'll all be happy with that. But I, I, I might. I'll say I'm going to go Ireland just by it's going to be so close. I'll say twenty-one twenty. Okay. Ian, thank you so much <laughs> for joining us. I'll remind you of that next week. Um, Kian, just before we finish up, I want to talk to you about the Ireland A-team playing the New Zealand um, Select 15. It's really been an interesting few weeks following the progress of this team and, and just the interaction between Andy Farrell and the coaching staff and these players. And then obviously the team selection um, definitely caught um, a few people as well by surprise, just the the strength of it. And it feels like there's a real integration between the two squads. And that doesn't seem to be all, always always have been the case with the Ireland A team and the Ireland senior team. Yeah, like we didn't really have Ireland A games for a while. Um, but since Andy Farrell has taken over as head coach, um, he's made a big push to get the Ireland A team back. But COVID intervened and he wasn't able to have the games. But we saw how beneficial it was in, in the Maori games um, in the summer. And, you know, I was actually out in the All Blacks ho- team hotel this morning. Like, and they have a bloody strong team. Like, I think it's actually stronger than a lot of people would have thought because a lot of the All Blacks who were in Japan last week got released back to play. Like, You've guys like TJ Perinara, Damian McKenzie, Patrick Tuiel-Pluto. Um, so there's a lot of guys there who fancy their chances of getting into the World Cup. And the fact that the the Ireland A's, if you want to call it that, against the Maori in the summer drew one all, this has a bit of a feel to a bit of a decider as well because there was a lot of disappointment in New Zealand uh, amongst both squads that they didn't get a chance to have a third game to see who would have won. So there's a lot of those Maori team going to be involved tomorrow as well. But... It's very interesting, Marie, between that and the Emerging Ireland Tour, mm. which is a little bit different to the A team. So if you want to go in like hierarchy, it's the Ireland senior team, the Ireland A and Emerging Ireland. So that's the pathway. And you can see why they're doing it. And the fact that Andy Farrell and his coaching staff have overseen this, I think they had 51 people training this week, which is fine if it's a pre-season camp, but that's unheard of for a test week because you want to make sure that guys get enough um, exposure, basically, in training. So... Tomorrow night at the RDS, Andy Farrell and all the Ireland coaches are going to be in the coach's box, which is very, very unusual before the, the night before. So they're preparing for two games, essentially. Pre- yes, and that's what they've been doing all week. And th- while they were doing that in the summer, the games weren't the night before the, the test, yeah. you know what I mean? So there was a bit of a gap. So I think it's all part of the, the thinking to put players and coaches under pressure like, because come the World Cup, everything comes at you thick and fast. So personally, I really like the approach. Uh, I think the game tomorrow could be absolutely cracking. I think it'll be really worth tuning in for because you're going to see uh, all Blacks players, but you're also going to see guys in the other team who, who are probably going to feature for the senior team in that Fiji game. And if, a lot, if some of them can impress in that Fiji game, I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple of them feature in the Australian game at the end of the month too so lots to play for Okay well give us a prediction for the two games then um, oh, the A game is very hard to call because I mean the All Blacks team are a scratch team they've only been together like for the last few days but I would imagine Ireland will be feeling quietly confident because of what they achieved together I think 12 of the same team are playing so I wouldn't be surprised if Ireland sneak a win there Ireland A and yeah I'd probably be thinking on the same lines as Ian um, if Ireland can physically match uh, the Springboks and hold on to them within an hour I think Ireland could sneak it but it's going to be very tough Okay, well, it's definitely one worth watching for sure. Keen, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to take a very quick break, but stay with us. Lots to come, including cricket, football, and US sports. Game on on 2FM. 
in the Europa League Manchester United are leading Real Sociedad 1-0 Garnacho with the goal on the 17th minute and Cristiano Ronaldo with the assist however both sides are already through to the next round and United must win by two or more goals to seal the top spot it is nearly half time there Shamrock Rovers are in action against Dura Gardens and they trail uh, by one goal to nil and it's almost half time there we'll be chatting to Keith Tracy about all of the football very very shortly but first of all we are going to turn our attention to cricket. Um, earlier today Imran Khan, the Pakistan ex-Prime Minister, was wounded at a protest march. Um, he was injured in the leg and four other people were also hurt. Joining us now on the line is Andrew Leonard an international cricket commentator and he is going to bring us up to speed on what is happening. Andrew, how are you? Yeah, very good evening Mary. Uh, all good here, uh, safe in lore. Oh great and, and great to hear from you and we're hearing you perfectly clear as well. Um, just to, about today's events to start, uh, can you just tell us how this all unfolded? Well I was actually in the air uh, coming across from the Gulf uh, when somebody on the plane said oh my god Imran Khan has just been shot uh, and obviously as any of these rapidly developing situations news kind of tends to come out in drips and drabs but the I suppose the positive news is is that he's safe and it was it seems to have been minor damage done to his leg and he's actually been even though the incident took place about 150 kilometers away from Lahore in a place called Wurizabad it um, meant that Imran Khan has been taken to a hospital here in Lahore and he's perfectly safe and um, the Pakistan Cricket Board who work uh, very closely with uh, Cricket Ireland who are the you know the touring team here uh, that's the reason I'm over commentating um, they've got all of their security uh, protocols in place and the series is going to go ahead so the women will get into action in the first ICC Women's Championship Games uh, tomorrow Yeah so uh, the cricket is going on anyway despite um, all of the, the chaos behind the scenes so I know that Cricket Ireland were advised that there is no change in the threat level for um, their Pakistan tour mm. but still it must be unsettling because this is huge international news yeah, look, I think the the way to describe the mood would be a little a little sort of um, worried and a bit tense just in and around the city. There's certainly, it's my first time to Pakistan. I spent a lot of time in the subcontinent in and around, you know, Nepal and Bangladesh and India. Um, and generally you would see a, a more heightened security level than you would back in Ireland uh, or in Europe in general. But um, you saw an awful lot of police and army on the roads this evening, but everyone seemed very safe. Everyone we spoke to in the airport coming through uh, perfectly safe. And it has to be said the way that the Pakistan Cricket Board have kind of brought cricket back to Pakistan, international cricket back to Pakistan after, you know, the tragic events of, of 15 years ago um, has been fantastic. So there's been lots of teams come here. We saw Australia's men's side here uh, earlier in the year. We saw England just recently playing a, a seven match series and they've all kind of gone off without any issue at all. So um, I'd expect the same. It's a brilliant stadium, uh, an iconic cricket stadium. The Gaddafi Stadium will host all six of the games, three one-day internationals. Uh, that we'll get started with in the ICC Women's Championship and then three T20Is which will help both sides build up to the T20 World Cup that both sides will play at in uh, South Africa uh, next February. And no doubt the Irish women will want to play especially after going so far, travelling all that distance. 
Oh, look, I've no doubt. I was talking to Laura Delaney, the captain, this evening. Uh, the spirits are absolutely fine in the camp. They've been assured there's nothing to worry about. Like, just to give you a sense of, of how uh, how much they love their cricket here, it really is a religion. You know, every billboard uh, you pass as you come in on the drive-in, there's cricket stars uh, all over them. And um, the PCB, the way that they organise things here is quite remarkable. The roads are actually shut down for our journey into the cricket ground. That was for, for training and for... Uh, playing the hotels are, are very secure and very safe and uh, yeah look there's a huge scale of excitement this is the first ever sporting team from Ireland to tour Pakistan men's or women's at any level um, so it's a really historic series the Irish women's team they're getting better and better they have a very young squad you know Amy Hunter Louise Little Jay McGuire Gabby Lewis Orla Prendergast they're all under 21 and you know there's probably a bit of a sense that Ireland a little bit like the men are showing at the ongoing T20 World Cup down in Australia there's a sense that there could be some upsets here and that Ireland are going to pick up some some big wins. Yeah, and you know, I think as well, like a lot of the time when sporting events are on, you know, especially women's sporting events, that they don't really get the the eyes, but the eyes are on them now because uh, people are curious about what's happening in, in Pakistan and the fact that there's an Irish presence there as well. People will be wondering how it all unfolds for the Irish cricket team too. Um, you mentioned a lot of the players there. I, I know that they have uh, got some semi-pro contracts now and as you said, they're improving all the time. And even for Ed Joyce, he seems to have a real handle on his team. Yeah, look, Ed Joyce is an absolute legend, an icon of the Irish game, the, maybe the best batter we've ever produced in the men's game. He's now been leading the women's side for, I think, well over three years. Mm. There are, I think, close to 20 contracts altogether, some of those full-time, seven full-time, nine part-time, and then some some kind of student contracts as well. And just the opportunity for these young players here in Pakistan, where the game is literally an obsession. It's mm -hmm. the biggest show in town, cricket here, anywhere in the subcontinent, but particularly Pakistan. And just to give you a sense of the excitement of the series, uh, it was the day before yesterday they had a, a series trophy launch they had about four and a half thousand people come out just to see the two captains with the trophy for the series. I was at a university here in Lahore. It's a beautiful city. It's a green city, a fantastic uh, cricket stadium. You know, the stuff of dreams for all of our players to be playing in a stadium like that. And that's where the women's game is going in Ireland. You know, the ICC Women's Championship, which is the 50-over version, it means that we get eight series over the next three years against the very best sides in the game. We're going to host England, Australia, uh, Sri Lanka. We've already hosted South Africa. We lost to them this summer. But then the away tours, the first one is here in Pakistan. We'll also go to India, Bangladesh and the West Indies. And to be frank with you, that's the stuff of dreams from 10, 15 years ago. I don't think any Irish cricket fans could have seen where we were going. And I think that's... Uh, we have taking here in Ireland. Andrew, we're you're starting to break up there, but uh, we will uh, hopefully chat okay. you again soon. But thank you so much for joining us all the way from Lahore, and we hope it all goes well over there for yourself and for the Irish women's team. We'll be keeping an eye on all the results there, and hopefully be checking in with you again very very soon. We're going to turn our attention to football now. Key Tracy is sitting across the way from me here in studio, watching Man United on your iPad. I'd say, am I correct? I am. I'm flicking between <laughs> them and, and Shamrock Rovers. To be honest, both of them. Well, how are they? Uh, well, how are they playing? We know that at the moment uh, Manchester United are winning 1-0 and Shamrock Rovers are trailing 1-0 Yeah Shamrock Rovers are trailing 1-0 it's, it's a really tight game pretty even in, in terms of possession there's only been one shot on target in, in the whole game and that's gone to Jorgard and obviously with the goal but Rovers are holding their own by no means are out of this game but you can tell Jorgards are very very classy operators and they only need one sort of goal to be able to hit the back of the net so Rovers will have to defend well in the second half and hope to hope to pinch one on the, on the counter attack 
OK, well, we will keep an eye on that throughout the rest of the hour. But let's have a look back at some of last night's results because it was Champions League Wednesday and there was plenty of talking points to come out of it. I guess one of the main ones was uh, the Manchester City 17-year-old Rico Lewis who had a Champions League night to remember. Uh, he scored um, on his Champions League debut. Uh, Pep said that he earned it. They don't give anybody presents, but he seemed like an impressive young man. He did. It's it's brilliant, isn't it, to be to be a youngster coming into that Manchester City team. You know they're going to play well, and you're going to get you're going to get a chance to express yourself on the ball. And his goal, he took his goal really, really well. Took it at the near post. I think the keeper probably done a, should have done a little bit better. But I give Lewis the the credit he gives the goalkeeper. He always manages to squeeze in at the near post and. Overall, you know, the, the goal can be a little bit misleading. Sometimes you can hide behind the goal. So I scored, but the young lad actually played really well in the game as well, which is encouraging. So no Haaland from Manchester City last night. He, he wasn't needed. Still three goals. So he has eclipsed Kareem Benzema now as youngest player to score on his first start in the competition. Uh, the problem with that though now is it's going to bring a little bit of pressure. It is, yeah. But like playing for Manchester City at any stage, there's, there's going to be an awful in that lot of pressure. Team. Yeah, yeah, but it's a great tag to have, isn't it? Next to your name, youngest ever Champions League goal scorer. But like you say, there will be an awful lot of hype around them now. But I'm sure Pep will keep the young lad grounded. He'll probably play in the reserves next week. And, you know, he will have to keep grounded because, you know, he, he was thrown in because Man- Manchester City are already true. He'd done the mm. walk in the group. He was put in. I know Pep said it wasn't a reward. It really was a reward. He will come back out of the team and as long as he keeps his head down, he looks like he could get a career over. I was watching uh, the overlap with Gary Neville and Virgil van Dijk earlier on today and van Dijk was asked who's the toughest player that he ever had to go up against and he said Olivier Giroud and I was really surprised at that but uh, then I was looking at the results from last night. He scored twice and created another one for AC Milan. It feels like he's been around for a long time but he's still doing the business. They were playing uh, Red Bull Salzburg last night. Yeah, Giroud, he's one of these players that he just seems to score goals and he's somebody that I love, especially when he plays for France. I know he mm. at Chelsea wasn't his biggest fan, but then he came to Arsenal and he was a bit more under my microscope and I really enjoyed him. He doesn't score a goal, like you know, a handful of goals like you would like, but gets involved in the physical battle, will bring people into play and we all, when I think of Olivier Giroud, I think of that scorpion kick he scored yeah. for Arsenal when the ball was behind him and still managed to direct it in on goal. So he is... He's, I, I think he'll start for France up front in the World Cup I think he will go as the focal point and Mbappe will be off him just to take a, a little bit of heat off Mbappe so I think he's, there's still an awful lot left in the Liberé Giroud and playing for AC Milan is a, it, it, it's a match made in heaven at the minute Yeah it really is so they needed to avoid defeat in their final group game to reach the last 16 while Salzburg needed to win uh, so they very much did that um, PSG were in action as well and they had to settle for second in their Champions League group a dramatic conclusion Benfica pipped them by um, virtue of away goals scored um, surprised that they were able to do that PSG yeah no Benfica Benfica yeah on paper you wouldn't expect uh, with, with Juventus and PSG in that group you wouldn't expect Benfica to be to be in and yeah. about but they were fair play to them and I watched PSG and Juventus last night technically a really high uh, high end game Mbappe's fourth goal was excellent you know he, I he, saw it going viral now oh, oh my god unbelievable yeah. the, the way you can see like at times when you watch it you know you watch it as a player and then you analyse it and you're thinking to the Juve, Juventus centre-half foul him, foul him, foul him and to be fair to the centre-half he tries his best and then the, the centre-half mate comes over and tries to foul Mbappe as well they end up smashing into each other but Mbappe just keeps the composure and manages to find the great finish and 
it's a great clip for young lads to watch to say you know you don't always have to go down when you feel contact if you stay on your feet there can be rewards there for you and yeah I, I'd be showing me kids that goal over and over again because I thought it was outstanding Absolutely and for even you know I just mentioned Benfica there when you have a, a target and you need to score a lot of goals it's not an easy thing to do at all like you know you think that you can go out and, and hit them but 6-1 win for, for them over Maccabi Haifa was was really really impressive so Benfica and PSG are the ones to progress and Juventus dropping into the Europa League uh, playoffs there in Maccabi, Maccabi Haifa are eliminated what can you say about Celtic though so Real Madrid uh, clinching the top spot in Group F with a 5-1 thrashing of Celtic yeah it, it, look it, it, I think the 5-1 is maybe ever so slightly a little bit a little bit nice on Real Madrid I thought Celtic were in the game the you know, Real Madrid went and got two penalties and then Celtic won a penalty, Celtic missed their penalty. So you're talking two and a half times, Celtic still in the game, possibly, you know, Real Madrid could make a mistake and get back into it. As it was, they missed the penalty, they never really got back into it. But, you know, Celtic are, you know, that they're really trying to find their way in the Champions League. What they're trying to get the building blocks and to just jump into the Bernabeu and expect them to go and get a result is is really really difficult. And for large periods of the game, I thought they did okay. You know, Real Madrid are Real Madrid. They're one of the best teams in the league. They'll be one of the favourites for the uh, for the Champions League. So no disgrace to lose five one to them. I thought they were okay in the game. Really, mm-hmm. you know, in. You know, in, in in it's all relative, and I think Celtic were okay. You know, nobody, do they belong in that that at that level? Well, like the level of the Champions League, I think Real Madrid are, are they're the top echelons yeah. of the Champions League. So do they do they belong there? Probably not. But you know, it's they building blocks. You yeah. know, you got to put building blocks. It's it's a little bit like Shamrock Rovers. A lot of people are saying, ah, oh, you know, is it worth them being in it? But they're at a stage in in the club's progression where they need to put building mm-hmm. blocks, and in a couple of years' time, hopefully, they can go to these sort of places and throw a few more punches. Arsenal and Zurich are also playing this evening. Um, Arsenal suffering that loss to PSV last week. Um, you just wonder about them now I know they've been brilliant in the Premier League and um, you know done so well it was only their first loss in Group A but um, a little bit of a wobble but it's hard isn't it yeah it is hard look uh, Arsenal are they've, they've been outstanding in the Premier League they really have they blew my expectations right out of water I, I, I knew they'd be a lot stronger mm. with, with Jesus and with Zinchenko it's 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 Xhaka and Saka. Like I I wrote Xhaka off in the middle of the Swiss uh, the Swiss centre midfielder. I thought it was time to get rid of him and bring somebody else in. He's been an absolute different player this season, like a new sign, and he's been unbelievable. He's creating goals, he's scoring goals, and I I remember I done the co comment in, in uh, when Zurich played Arsenal over in Zurich, and Arsenal never really got out of second gear, and they put them away pretty comfortably and. In, in the five games that Zurich have already played they've conceded 15 goals so you'd imagine Arsenal will get a couple on the on the score sheet tonight and you wouldn't imagine Zurich can be able to score three or four to, to get the win there Yep, we'll be keeping an eye on that one as well so the World Cup is just around the corner and unfortunately what I'm noticing anyway over the last uh, little while is that uh, players are starting to get ruled out with injury um, we saw Son with the eye fracture although I just have this image of him playing in a World Cup with one of those masks on or something like that um, you would hope that he's going to be able to make it yeah as a, as a well I say as a neutral I'm obviously an Irish fan but you know we're not going to be there but you just want to see the best players playing mm-hmm. and it's it's you know the the one that really strikes me is you know people think footballers they turn up they play the game and they're not really emotionally attached to it when you're seeing Raphael Varane go off oh, and Manchester United yeah. you know, it, it really did you know it, it, it struck a chord with me because yeah. that man has all the money in the world he's won Champions League won the World Cup already 
but when he knows himself mm. he's not playing in the World Cup you're seeing how much it meant to him he's a grown man going off the pitch crying and it's not because of the pain he's in it's because he knows the repercussions of the injury yeah. so you know I'm expecting an outstanding World Cup and it Every player now is thinking, you know, when there's a 50-50 dropping, they're thinking, I don't want to get hurt here. And, and when you, you, everybody knows, when you go into a challenge thinking, I don't yeah. want to get hurt, that's generally when you do get hurt. So Especially because there feels like there's so many people getting hurt. Like Ben Chilwell is a doubt. Uh, Timo Werner has been ruled out. Mm. We saw Pogba as well. It, it feels like there's a lot. Yeah, well, uh, look, to, to go back to the Premier League, this, they're, they're cramming an awful lot of games mm. in to try and get the, to get this uh, World Cup in. So... The, the load is is huge and to be fair that's what I'm saying about Arsenal when Arsenal win the race for the Premier League they've got an awful lot of youngsters in their team and an awful lot of players like Saka the right winger he's getting kicked up and down the pitch because he's coming mm. to the forefront he's going to be the mainstay in England's team you'd expect England to go deep is he going to be able to play 50-60 games this season I'm not too sure it's only his tour to fourth professional season so huge ask for an awful lot of players but yeah it, it's heartbreaking stuff when you see players coming off the pitch crying because you know, we all want to play in the World Cup. It's the holy grail for a footballer. Yeah, they know what's coming down the track. Um, it's been quite a, an interesting build-up to the World Cup. A lot of debate about the um, the morals of, of watching it, and of course the the situation over in Qatar and the controversies uh, with so many different things. Um, how are you feeling about it? Uh, I think I'm like the general public. I, I think you know we shouldn't be there but we mm. are there you know it, it goes down to FIFA and it's it's a, it goes above the heads of the players and you know the your average normal Joe Soap it, it, it's FIFA and we all know the last World Cup in 2018 was in Russia so it, it generally does go to the highest bidder it's not great that we're, that we're going to Qatar but I'm still really excited about the football I have to say I really really am but you know, as as a human being looking looking from the outside in, it doesn't seem like we're trying to include everybody, which is mm. obviously what we want. Yeah, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like it it should be there, um, but unfortunately, it is, and it and it is going to go ahead. Um, PK has announced that he will retire from football after Barcelona's uh, next La Liga game. So he's obviously a mainstay with them for such a long time, but he has fallen out of favour at uh, company this season. He's only started three La Liga games, so he has decided to give it all up. Uh, he has four Champions Leagues and a World Cup. What a player. Yeah, he's not done badly for himself, <laughs> has he? He's, uh, and to be fair, Marie, like, we're laughing. It, it, there was a, I think it was around 2006, 2007 when he was leaving United. I think he, scored, he played 12 games in the Premier League and he seemed a little bit soft for the Premier League mm. but then he went back to Barcelona and people were thinking he's not good enough for them mm. but I think yeah. it, I think it's 400 games later and I think 102 games for Spain as well captain of his country won the World Cup won the Champions League he's done everything and you know for a, he's only 35 years of age and I, I do think there's still a little bit of football left in them legs but when you've done, when you've been there done it and the fire just comes out of your belly and you're sitting on the bench it's the easiest thing in the world just to say I've had enough and I think he's just uh, looking forward to family life now which I think he fully deserves looking at his stats. <laughs> well the only thing I'll say about that he did split up with Shakira there very recently so um, yeah it's uh, it was an interesting uh, an interesting time for him just given the fact he has been in probably the tabloids a lot more than he has been in the back pages as well. Um, now that I've mentioned PK and Shakira we will be talking American sports after the break and of course Tom Brady and Giselle are going to be part of that conversation so a nice segue there. Um, Keith thank you so much I'm going to get you to stay though and keep an eye on that uh, those two football games and get a couple of updates stay with us though American Sports to come RTE 2FM Game on on 2FM
10 to 7. I'm Marie Crow. You're listening to Game On and I'm delighted to say that Jeff Shepard joins us all the way from the United States. Shep, how are you? I'm doing great, Marie. How are you? Good. I haven't talked to you in a while now, so you're going to have loads of news for me. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm glad everybody survived uh, Halloween to get ready as we head, uh, you know, head towards the end of the year, right? Yeah, we're putting the Christmas trees up now, Shep, before we know it. Uh, That's right. Two people that won't be putting up Christmas tree up together anyway are Giselle and Tom Brady, so it is officially over. Well, yeah, they won't be putting them up together, but it, it sounds like, uh, you know, from the divorce papers that were finalized last week, they could put up about 20 trees in all their houses. Um, yeah, so, you know, we, you know, we've talked about this before, Marie, that, you know, all of these problems and these issues that they were having. And, you know, Tom Brady, you know, he has a very public job that people get to watch him perform, but it is a, a very private person um, in his private life. And all of that kind of changed this year right before the season started when he announced that he was going to, you know, unretire and come back and play football. And, you know, we, everybody kind of, you know, speculated like, okay, well, you know, he and his supermodel wife, Giselle, you know, she doesn't want him to keep playing football. But as, as the season kind of progressed, more and more news kind of leaked out that it wasn't just that. It was, you know, look, they're married. I mean, everybody who's married understands it's not just, you know, peaches and sunshine every single day. You know, you have to do work and all kinds of problems happen, even if you're, you know, really wealthy and really good looking. Believe me, I know from experience. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, you know, they had their problems and uh, the football stuff kind of, I think, was probably maybe one of the final straws. And just last week, it was on, I mean, it came out on Friday that they had officially filed the papers and everything, you know, was kind of taken care of. And, you know, a couple of days have passed, Marie, and, you know, it, it's, you know, news is coming out. They had a, what, what is being described as an ironclad prenuptial agreement. So, you know, he came in with a certain amount of wealth and she came in with a certain amount of wealth. And they basically are exiting with, you know, all of their things and um, that they brought into the marriage. And, you know, there's some properties that had to be, you know, split up a home in Miami and a home in Costa Rica and a home in New York and a home in Montana, which is a state out in the western portion of the United States, you know, very rural and, you know, very nice. If you watch the show Yellowstone, by any chance, if, if that's made its way to Ireland, um, that's the state that that show is shot in. And you know, and then it was, you know, full, you know, they're, they're splitting full custody, you know, custody of the kids. They, they're saying that it's amicable and, and, you know, it's not, you know, not going to be anything nasty. Um, but it's odd. It's kind of just all played out really in front of us here over the last couple of months. Yeah, it, it does feel like that. And it kind of started with the, the football really, didn't it? Just that she didn't want him to play, uh, to keep playing football. And when that came out, I thought, okay, this isn't going to end well. And it hasn't. So what about uh, his struggles with the Bucks then? Are you, are you putting that down to what's going on in his personal life? Yeah, so look, you know, I, I think... You know, he's saying all the things that you would expect someone like Tom Brady in his position to say, which is, you know, hey, you know, we're human. We all have professional lives that we struggle with. We have work, you know, home life that we struggle with. You try not to take it home, but it's hard to do. I think everybody understands that. But, you know, they don't the Bucks are just not as good as they have been in the last couple of seasons. You know, they, they in the last day. We've lost Shep there, so we might go back. I was uh, dying to know if he was going to retire or maybe move to the Miami Dolphins because if Messi moves to Miami, then I would be pretty happy to go to on holidays to Miami to try and see Messi and then you could get a Tom Brady game in as well. Keith Tracy is still with me. Would you go? 
Do you go yeah, all the way? Yeah, if you're paying, I'll go, yeah, no problem. <laughs> we could uh, do an OB live from, uh, live from there and, and see if we could see two of the great athletes of all time. Um, but uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens with Tom Brady. He is pushing on after all, so um, I'm not sure how long more that he'll be able to play for. Uh, what about the, the games tonight, Manchester United? Yeah, you know, you're in uh, Real Sociedad, just kicked back off about five minutes gone in the second half. And to be fair, it looks like Sociedad had a better team. They've had more shots on target, more shots off target, the line share, the possession. So although United are one nil up, Real Sociedad, are, they're a decent little team. They're top of the group. United need to win by two clear goals. So even a one nil win to United suits Real Sociedad. So if Sociedad can get a goal, you know, United will be really struggling. We need two in, in the second half to go and win the group. But... Yeah, I think United will be happy just to get through four seed, second seed. I don't think it really matters to some like a club yeah. of, of United stature, you know. They're just happy to get there. Um, Shep is back to us again. Shep, I was just musing um, about whether or not Tom Brady would retire or maybe move to the Miami Dolphins so that I could go to Miami, see him and Messi in the one weekend. <laughs> well, I mean, that would be helpful, wouldn't it? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think he's going to go to Miami. I mean, I think, you know, the next... If this isn't the last, I mean, I'd be shocked if this isn't his last season. I don't, I don't think he's going to quit in the middle of the season. I think he would look at that as a complete failure. I think, you know, the, the issue that he's got, and it, it, the entire division that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are playing it is just not very good. The Saints, the Chargers, excuse me, the Panthers from Carolina, and the Falcons, they're all right around the 500 mark. They're all 4-4 four and four or 3-5, and five, you know? So even though they haven't played great, they've lost to... Uh, a couple of pretty bad teams here recently, they're still, you know, in the driver's seat, you know, or one of the teams to, you know, to potentially win the division and make the playoffs. And really, that's all you're looking for, you know? I mean, the the, the conference that the Bucks play in isn't the greatest. And so as long as they can get into the playoffs, they've got a legitimate shot to make it to the Super Bowl. Now, that's, you know, eight, nine more games to go. He is 45 years old. At some point, they're going to play in some cold weather. So we'll see how it, you know, how it plays out over the next two months. What about this weekend, Shep? What should we look out for? So you've got Buffalo and the New York Jets. You know, I've been joking with Shane all season about, oh, my God, how, how do you pick the Jets? They've been terrible for two decades. And, of course, they're like, you know, six and three. Awesome. Uh, they're playing really well. But, of course, they've got to play the Buffalo Bills this weekend, who have just been kind of laying waste to everybody they play, including our other favorite target, Aaron Rodgers, last weekend. They absolutely destroyed the Packers. Um so that's going to be a really tough game. And, and then you've also got the Kansas City Chiefs playing uh, the Tennessee Titans, who, you know, always kind of hang around and get really good towards the end of the season. That's a potential, you know, future playoff matchup as well there with the Chiefs. So um, I think those are the main games that everybody's going to be looking at. But, again, you know, it, it, right now it really seems to be the Buffalo Bills. We're kind of at the midway point of the season, Marie, and you've got the Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs, and over in the NFC, you've got the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles, and they play tonight, uh, and they're looking to go 8-0. They play the Houston Texans, who are just not very good. It would be a very big upset if the Eagles don't win tonight. Okay, Shep, thank you, as always, for that update. We will check in with you again next week. Keith, before we finish up, any development in the Shamrock Rovers game? No, still 1-0 to Joe Gardens, and still there. Manchester United being Real Sociedad 1-0 also. Great. Uh, Keith, thank you so much for coming in. That is all we have time for this evening. Betty De Silva is up next. RTE 2FM.